0: we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word we ask you to guide and lead us in what you would want us to see in all this and we thank you in Jesus name Amen 2nd Chronicles chapter 35 up to this point we covered Josiah having the Passover with the people and all the animals that they killed uh, tens of thousands of animals the priests did their their job they've been put in their positions And so starting at verse 16. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and the burnt offerings upon the altar of the Lord according to the commandment of King Josiah. And the children of Israel that were present kept the Passover at that time and kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. And there was no Passover like unto that in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept, and the priest and the Levites and all Judah and Israel were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, was this Passover kept. So, this is just finalizing this Passover that we were talking about. And it says, everything was prepared or put in place uh, to keep this Passover and. To follow the commandment of the king. Now, this is—he's following the commandment of God, but the king is the one that's pushing everything, being and motivating it to happen. And the children of Israel were present; that were present kept the Passover at that time and the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. So, this is—there are two feasts that happen back to back. You have Passover, which is the killing of the lamb. Uh, for Passover, and then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a seven-day feast, or theoretically it goes from Passover to the next, the next Sabbath day. And that is a time when they don't eat unleavened bread, they celebrate. And then at the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have the first fruits uh, celebration, which is another celebration. And then 50 days after Passover, you have Pentecost, so these are the four spring holidays uh, that they would fulfill. And here we have the children of Israel fulfilling Passover and seven and, and uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So all of this is going on. They're turning to God, at least outwardly. We're going to find out when Josiah dies, they don't, it doesn't last very long at all. But outwardly, they seem to come back to God. And then I love this verse 18. There was no Passover like this that was kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There have been a couple of other times that we've heard this statement. Under Hezekiah, it said nobody has kept kept it up until this time. Solomon, when he did a Passover, nobody had kept it up to this time. So he's got... Two other people that it's, he's kept it better than they did, and that in their day, they were said, nobody's kept it like they did. Uh, and we're talking about tens of thousands. So they had this great feast that is coming down into history as the greatest Passover that Israel has had up until this point, and they will not have another Passover like this ever again. At least not, they have not had one up like this one in all of history Uh, because shortly after this they're going to go into captivity and about 30 years they are going to go into captivity and all during Jesus's days they did not have they had Passover but nothing like this one was and they have not had a Passover like this since they became a nation again so this is going down in history as the greatest Passover that Israel ever had and this all happened in the 18th reign Of Josiah and Josiah has done a lot in 18 years he's re-established the temple he's found the law he's bringing people back to worship God he's gotten rid of the the idols he is doing a lot to bring people back to God but as we read in the previous chapter God says for all that you're doing right it's not good enough to save the people from going into captivity and this is, there can be a point where the people, the God's people, you know, a nation has gone so far that they might get a temporary reprieve, but not a permanent one. And God says, that's it, we're done, we're, we're over with you. And we're going to see that this is the temporary reprieve is this time that Josiah is king. They have a temporary reprieve and they're going to get another, I think it's 23 and a half years Uh, after that with the four kings that followed Josiah. And two of those kings only only go for months. (laughs) So we have a very short period of time. All right. so verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Karmesh by the Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. But he sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with you, O king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house wherein I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, forbear you from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy you not. So let's just take a look at this part. We have the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Who's southwest of Israel? He's going on a march to go fight the king up in by the Euphrates. Now, the only problem with that battle is it goes through Judah to get there. So, the king of e- Egypt is marching his army through Judah to fight up at the Euphrates, and we have Josiah basically doing what any leader of their country would be going who do you think you are marching through my country he arms his troops to go to war against Egypt at this time Egypt is like the number three or four power of the world Uh, up at Euphrates they're the number two power of the world we have Assyria the number one power of the world Uh, and poor Israel or Judah at this time is kind of in the middle of all this now the Syria and Babylon they can fight each other with no problem because they're not going to touch but anybody f- coming toward Egypt or going from Egypt are going to go through Judah so Josiah sees this army of Egyptians going through his territory arms his men to say we're going to go stop these guys from going <laughs> up to that territory. Now this is a pretty bold bold thing to do in the first place. He's just a little you know pipsqueak of a of a kingdom going against the number 3 power of the of the area. You now it's going to be a mismatch. And there's one big thing that we find in this whole statement. It does not appear that Josiah ever asked God if he should go against Necho. There's no record of him saying God should we go to bed? all he's doing is saying oh, God's been blessing me and these guys are crossing my territory I'm gonna go stop them and it's a pretty dangerous place when we do things without asking God now, God may have said go and if God had said go then he would have destroyed destroyed Neco but that's not what ended up happening here so Neco sends him ambassador saying uh, oh Josiah what what do we have to do with you this is this is none of your business I am NOT coming against you today I am going up north just get out of my way now he crouches this in a very interesting statement he says to him I am NOT going to do anything for God has commanded me to make haste forbear not you from meddling with God who is with me that he destroy you not. Now, the very interesting key on this is in Hebrew. This is not Yahweh that he's talking about. It's Elohim. He's talking about a God. So one of the many gods of Egypt, Nekko was saying, one of the many gods of Egypt has told me to go, go through your land and fight this, you know, and you should believe in God. So so get out of my way and don't, don't bother me. You know, by the way, this has nothing to do with you. I'm not coming after you today. And note that he said, I'm not coming after you today. Uh, so mind your own business. You know, I'm just going to go through your land and, and come back later on. And if, if I want to deal with you then, I'll deal with you then. So just leave me alone. And so it's kind of a bold statement from Netco. He's going to march through somebody's country and say, you know, mind your own business. That would be like for us, and as bizarre as it might be. Uh, Canada and Mexico decide to go to war, and start marching their troops through through America, and we're you know and telling us to mind our own business. They're not coming to fight us. They're going to go fight each other. All right. Uh, so this is this, I'm just setting the stage on this because everybody always looks like, well, why did Josiah go to ba-? well he went to battle because his nation was borders had been breached, uh, and it was serious to him to to say you guys have crossed my border. What's going on? And, you know, so Necho just said, Go mind your own business. And uh, verse 22 says, However, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him, and hearkened not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of, of God, and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot at King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. And his servants therefore took him out of, the, of that chariot, put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah and all the singing men and the singing women spoke of Josiah in their lamentations to this day and make them, an ordinance of Israel, and behold, they are written in the lamentations. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to all that which was done, was was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds, first and last. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. All right. So, Necro sends this ambassador to him, says. Uh, don't meddle in things that you're not supposed to be meddling in. I've been told by God to do this. You know, in other words, you know, mind your own business. I'm going to cross your land whether you stop try to stop me or not. And Josiah, and again, note the most important thing in here is we never see Josiah saying, God, should I attack these men? All right. It might have been better for him to just let them go fight each other and then come back. We're going to find out that... Uh, the pharaoh is going to come back and attack his attack his uh, son so but all of this is going to happen but it says Josiah would not turn his face but disguised himself that he might fight with him now again I don't understand this whole idea of disguising yourself to go into battle uh, because he's obviously the leader of the battle so these people are going to shoot the leader uh, but he's not going in the king's chariot he did not wear king's garments he probably wearing the general but you know, it's one of those things when everybody reports to an individual, you know who's in charge. Uh, even in our day with the weapons that we have, uh, officers oftentimes have to take off their, their insignia because the enemies start realizing they're the leaders and start shooting at them. But even then, they don't, you know, when people start talking to them, they get very well you know, identified as who's the leader. And he is out there and it says the archers shot at him. All right, Uh, they're fighting in Megiddo, the valley of Megiddo. This is where Armageddon will be fought. Every great military leader who has looked at that valley says it's the perfect place to have a battle. Now, I'm not quite sure what it is, I've seen pictures of it. It's a large, flat valley. Long, long, long valley, flat all the way across until you get to the mountains on either side of it. And even in, by today's standards, it is a very good place to have a battle. Because lots of people can be put into that valley. All right, I don't think it's a very good va- place to have a battle. You know, if you're going to charge straight at each other, it's a great place to have a battle. But if you're not going fight, to fight that way, it's a terrible place to have a battle. But everybody says it's a great place. And, and the great battle of Armageddon is going to be fought there. And so he's there. And the archers shot at King Josiah. And they basically hit him and he's telling his servants, get me out of here, I'm, I'm griev- grievously wounded, very sorely wounded. And they took him out of that chariot and put him in a second chariot that he had. Now, I'm not sure why there's a second chariot out there. Now, my suspicion is the first chariot he was in was the battle chariot, a heavy, heavy cha- chariot full of, full of armor. The second chariot was probably the lighter king's, king's chariot to get him back to Jerusalem quicker. That would be my suspicion on here. They're putting him in more of a racing-type chariot, saying, we got to get him out of here now and get him, to a, get him to a doctor in a hospital to be taken care of. That is my suspicion on why they would have switched chariots. Uh, I have no proof of that, but that would be my logical thought process on here. He was in a battle chariot, and they put him in something that was a lot faster, lighter, to get him back home. And it says that on his way there that they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. One of the great kings, now one of the things we want to note is they have covered a lot of time in just these couple of chapters because it was the 18th year that we just had this, and he's going to reign for 31 years. So we just jumped 13 years into the future in one, in one verse. <laughs> All right. So we went from the 18th year of his reign to the... 31st year of his reign where the battle happens and he dies. And this is what I make the point to everybody. When we're reading the Bible, we have to kind of watch because time jumps, jumps at times. You know, And it, it's kind of an interesting thing. We, in just one verse, we jumped 13 years into the future and nothing else is written about him. And either, in either Kings or, or Chronicles, Cleans up the idols, builds the temple, has Passover, dies. (laughs) Thirteen years later is dead. So we want to be very careful because it's very easy when we look at these guys' lives, and I bring this out all the time. We look at Abraham and all the good things that Abraham did and all the things that happened to Abraham and realize that 40 years that they tell us about is covered in only like four chapters. And in 40 years they give us like four events of his life and say these things happened. And we go, wow, look how exciting his life was. Yeah, there were lots of times in between that did nothing happen. Moses, as much as we know about the 40 years of wandering, we don't know what happened. Most of those days we just got up, did our, did our business, and, and uh, went to bed that day. A reason I hammer on this is how many times do we think maybe God's not using us enough. We don't have enough excitement in our life. God's not moving like he did in the Old Testament. Well, we need to be careful with that statement because there's lots and lots of things that were just long, and and we read it and it's like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. He died, and you know, and, and we look at it how when it started and when he died and go, oh, 40 years just happened. Yes, these things happened, but not, you know, that was all that happened in 40 years. It was noteworthy, and we need to be very careful when we read these things and say. God, you're not doing anything. I don't see you doing anything. And I hear it all the time. Why does God not do the great things he did in the Old Testament? Well, I think he's still doing them every day. I hear the testimonies of every day. Now, is it every single day that he does things? No, but he didn't do it every single day in the Old Testament either. And so we want to be very careful about this because we just, again, jumped 13 years in, in one verse and would, if I didn't bring it out, we would not really have recognized it. So we always want to keep this in mind. So he was died and he was buried in in Jerusalem and it says all Jude, Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah yeah. he had brought in a golden age a go, an age where people were worshiping God and, and lifting up and God is bringing blessings because of the because of what the he's being honored and and then we get this little thing and this tells us this remember this is Jeremiah is a prophet at this time he's going to be a prophet through the last four kings and Je- Jeremiah lamented for J- Josiah and all the singing men and singing women spoke of Josiah in their lamentations to this day and made an ordinance in Israel and behold they are ridden in the in the lamentation so somewhere along the lines people were making great songs about the loss of Josiah, and I don't know how those songs would have went, but if you read the epic poems, sometimes there's more epic poem about their death than anything else that goes on. You know, they died gloriously in battle, and they took this many people down with them, and you know, won this battle in their death, you know, so it was, I don't know what those lamentations were, but Jeremiah is looking at this. This is a big deal for Jeremiah. The king who is bringing a great time in Israel is dead. Now from this point of Josiah on, Jeremiah is going to have a hard time with the kings. When we get further in the book of Jeremiah, we'll see that he's thrown into prison. He's thrown into the cistern. He's beat. He's told that if you show up one more time in the court, you're going to die. You know, they go after him because they consider him basically a traitor. Because from Josiah onward, all the prophets are telling these kings, God is bringing judgment. Repent. Jeremiah is going to tell each one of the kings, just submit to Nebuchadnezzar and everything will be okay in the long run. And none of them do. They don't listen. They're not obedient to what God tells them to do. And so all these lamentations are, are made And it says, now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness according to that which is written in the law of the Lord and his deeds first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And we don't have those books in today's world. And if we do, I don't know about them. They're not not books that I have ever looked at or read. So, um, and this is Josiah. He is greatly blessed of God. And the people have been blessed because he, honored God and we need in our country to see the same thing if our leaders do not repent and turn to God we're not going to have much much hope now we need to as people repent as well and in our case we get to vote in our leader so if we repented and voted for Christian leaders that it would going to give good decisions we might save our country I don't see that happening anytime soon but other than that, we face just what's going to happen to Israel. Judgment and destruction. All right. Chapter 36. Then the people of the land took Jeho- Jehoiah the son of Josiah and made him king in his father's stead and in, in Jerusalem. And Jehoiah was 23 years old when he began to reign and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And the king of Egypt put him down at Jerusalem and condemned condemned the land and condemned the land in a hundred talents of silver and a, and a talent of gold. And the king of Egypt made El- Elikim, his brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem and turned his name to Jehoiakim. And Necro took Jehoiaz, his brother, and carried him to Egypt. All right. Josiah dies. This is exactly what we're seeing here, is exactly what he feared in the first place. Is when the king got done when Necro got done with the northern battles, he was going to come back and, and swallow up Judah. And they could have gone either way. He could have been really suffered in up there north, or he got stronger because his people got better at war and and won a victory, and apparently they won a victory easily and then decided to go after Judah. And so the people made Jehoiahaz his son. He's 23 years old when he begins to reign, all right, and he's going to reign for a whopping three months. Uh, You talk about a short (laughs) reign. He does not have time, and this is really a sad thing because he does not have time to get the generals aligned under him, the secret secret service, the CIA, you know, all their all of their all of their special forces, and he doesn't have time to get things. Lined up underneath them. And sometimes we think, you know, well, these are kings. Everybody lines up automatically. No, you have to win their allegiance. He does not have time to to win their allegiance. And uh, he's going to reign for three months. And the king of Egypt came down on him in Jerusalem. And then he taxed the land. He made them pay a tax. Now his tax was a 100 talents of silver. This is a pretty heavy tax on them. That's a lot of silver and only one talent of gold. Approximately, uh, I read somewhere and I didn't write it down, but uh, he's not going to you know, be giving very much. It's a pretty heavy, heavy tax that he uh, put on them with this process. Um, Talent is about 125 pounds, so about 125 pounds of gold per year, and about 12 about uh, 12,000 pounds of silver. It's a lot of silver. All right. Uh, he's trying to make a point. You know, you're not going to be able to support what's going on. And then the king took Elikim, the brother of the king of Judah, and he turned and he changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Necro took Elihaz his brother, and carried him into Egypt. So he disposed the king, making sure that he can't try to get trouble for his brother, takes him back to Egypt. And he sets up a king in his place. Now note, the people chose Jehoiahaz. Necro says, no, we're not taking the one the people, got. we're going to take his brother, Which makes me wonder what he saw in his brother that, you know, he trusted the brother better than he trusted Jehoiahaz. But he picks Jehoiahaz, changes his name to Elakim and makes him makes him the ruler over Judah. Now, at least we have a king who is of the line of David sitting on the throne. (laughs) All right. Uh, Even though a foreign king put him there, it's the right family line. Verse five, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and against him came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and bound him in fetters and carried him to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar also carried the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and his abominations which he did And that which was found in him, behold, are they not written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah? And Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his stead. All right. So Jehoiakim is two years younger than his brother when he he takes the throne. So the people took the younger brother over the elder brother to start with. And Necho puts him on the throne and he's going to reign 11 years. And what does it say about him? He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we know from past experience that means he built altars and he turned away from God and did not have Passover celebration, probably polluted the the temple. We don't know. It doesn't really define what evil means in this stance. But we know all the kings who had evil created idols and turned away from God. And so he's doing all this evil. Uh... And it says, against him came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in fetters to carry him into Babylon. So Israel was again attacked. This time they've been under the umbrella of Egypt, but Nebuchadnezzar has been pushing back Egypt, pushing back Assyria. He's conquering everything. He doesn't lose. And then he sets his eyes on Jerusalem. And he comes and he conquers Jehoia him to take him into, get and he takes him away bound in chains and this is something that is we see this so often they will take these kings and basically make them walk to wherever they're going as a slave and he doesn't get treated as a slave once he gets there but he is treated as a slave as he marches into you are defeated you are you are no longer a king. You're no, you're no longer anybody special. Now, we're going to read in other books that he was given a nice place to stay once he got there. Uh, we're also going to find out that he had other problems that he had. And it says he was, and at the same time, Nebuchadnezzar carried away much of the vessels of the house of the, of the Lord to Babylon and put them in the temple. And some people say that not the temple, but his palace. It doesn't matter. He took them to Babylon. And they're no longer there. We know that uh, when Nebuchadnezzar dies, his grandson takes the stuff out of storage and out of, and starts drinking and worshiping their gods. You know, singing praise to their gods. And that's the one that sees the handwriting on the wall and says, "You've been weighed, and, uh, you've been weighed, and have lost." Uh, and then it says, "The rest of the acts of Jehoiakim uh, and his abominations, which he did, are written in the books of I- Isaiah and Judah." And Jehoiachin, his son, reigns. So here we have an 11 year reign. Now, we're going to know that Jeremiah lives through all of these kings. He is in the reign of Josiah. He's going to reign through, he reigned through Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin has his three months. The 11 years of uh, Jehoiachin, the three months of Jehoiachin, and the 11 years of uh, Zadok. Zedekiah? Anyway, get to him in just a moment. Uh, Zedekiah, excuse me. So he's going to be working through all these different kings, and he's preaching. These kings aren't going to treat him well. We don't hear much about Jeremiah in this book, but in in the book of Jeremiah and other prophets, we hear all about what was going on in his life. Uh, So verse 9, Jehoiachin was eight years old when he began to reign and he reigned three months and ten days and did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And when the year expired, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the, godly, uh, with the goodly vessels in the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem. Now I read this and I say, how much evil can an eight-year-old be doing? Uh, and it makes me wonder. Now he had to have had some bad advisors, you know. But he's only going to reign for three months and ten days. He lasted 10 day longer than the first well, he lasted. Yeah, he lasted lasted ten days longer than his uncle. Than his uncle, but yeah. it's not saying much. Uh, but eight years old, and he reigns with great evil, uh, following in the steps of his dad, obviously. You know, it, but you know, you, you compare him. To Josiah, who at eight years old turned to God, even though his his family wasn't doing all that good, he turned to God. This one turns further from God. And how bad do you have to be to be judged as an eight-year-old and taken away? And I think he probably did because it's Nebuchadnezzar that comes in and he carries him away, you know, takes him away, you know, as well. And he takes he takes him away to Babylon and with the goodly vessels of the house of the Lord, so he takes another set of things out of the out of God's temple, to go to Babylon, and we don't know when during all of this Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken. Uh, the great, you know, the, the the princes probably in the first or second purge, maybe in the third purge, but somewhere in these purges, the Daniel is taken away, uh, and we don't know exactly which purge. So verse eleven. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from the turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. Okay, so we're going to stop right there for a moment. So Zedekiah, 21 years old, the brother of uh, Jehoiachin, uh, takes over. He's going to reign 11 years. Now why they chose the 8 year old instead of the 21 year old in the first place, I have no idea. Maybe they figured the eight-year-old would be controllable and might repent. I don't know what their logic was. But now they put Zedekiah in there. And the statement in verse 12, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and humbled him not himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the words of the Lord. In the book of Jeremiah, we're going to have several chapters of him talking to Zedekiah and Zedekiah's threatening of Jeremiah. You know, and so we know a lot about Zedekiah, but not from this book. Zedekiah was evil. He was following after idols. And it says in the next part, he polluted the house of the Lord, which means he put idols in the temple. You know, he was doing everything wrong that the previous kings had ever done wrong. And we're going to find he's the last king. He's the last king of Judah. And... Not only that, because in Jeremiah we're told that Jeremiah kept telling them, just abide under subjection to Nebuchadnezzar and everything's going to be okay. Well, verse 13 says this, he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. He decided somehow, Nebuchadnezzar's put us under tribute, we don't like it, we're going to rebel. And it's always kind of funny when a much weaker nation Rebels against a stronger one. I don't know how they think they're going to get away with it, especially when they're already in Subjection to that nation Uh, but somehow they thought they saw a weakness and it says he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and It says who had made him swear by God But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart and turned away from the Lord God of, of Israel so Nebuchadnezzar said I want you to swear by your God that you're going to stand in and, and honor me be in, be in subjection to me and basically Zedekiah said I swear by God and didn't mean it he had no reverence at all for God he did not care what God wanted and this is a sad state of where they're at it's only been you know 22 years since they had a great king that honored God and here he is you know the grandson of of him and saying eh, who cares i don't care about god how fast things fall and this is the scary thing when i look around at our at our country you know i never in my life dreamed that our country would fall as far as it did as fast as it did you know and i'm going god can we be rescued <laughs> can there be a revival at how far this country has fallen you know when people that are wanting freedoms are called you know fascists and people that are against democracy and the ones that want to take all our freedom away are are called you know people who are for the country and you're going what do they where are they coming up with this you know and it doesn't make any sense as more and more freedom is being taken away we would have seen this here more and more freedom taken away from the people and then it says um Moreover, all the chief priest of the people transgressed very much after the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed at Jerusalem. So that, you know, this is interesting. The priest, God's priests, are not standing up for what they're supposed to do. All right. Uh, because this doesn't say there are other other priests. It says the chief of the priests, you know, the high priest is doing everything wrong and not worshiping God. This, this is bizarre to me. And yet, as I look around in history and even in our country, how many Christians abandon the faith toward the, the downfall of a nation? And we have so many supposed Christian churches that do not preach God's word, do not honor God, and yet call themselves Christian churches. Here, they would have said, we're Jews, we're worshiping God. We got all these other gods out here too, but we, we still worship God. And they would have told you they were Jewish. They were obeying God even with the idols in the temple. Even with all of this garbage going on that was not spiritual. And they were doing just what happens today. Well, can't we all get along? We're all, we're all just, we all want to see, you know, you get to God. We just have different ways to do it. Yeah, we've got the right way where Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me." And we got all the other wrong ways. You know, which are basically do do good works. You know, and so the the priests at this time are totally turning their back against God. And not only just the priests but the high priest, the one in charge of them all. And they're letting all these idols come in. Verse 15, and the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers raising up bread betimes times and sending because they had because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place but they mocked the messengers of god despising their words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the lord rose against these people till there was no remedy therefore he brought upon them the king of the chaldeans who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young men or maidens old men or him that stooped for age, and he gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and his princes, and all the, and all these were brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God, and broke down the walls of Jerusalem, and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword, carried he away to Babylon, where they were his Servants to him and his sons until the reign of, of the kingdom of the Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the end the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbaths to fulfill three, uh, 70 years. All right. So the Lord sent them all kinds of prophets. God sends prophets. He sends people to say... This is what's gonna happen if you do not obey. Listen, pay attention, be obedient. They never listen. Jeremiah was their chief one, but there are other prophets that keep coming to them and telling them God is bringing judgment. In the meantime, because they have so many other idols and everything, they have all the false prophets saying, oh, you're never gonna, God will never depart from you. You'll be blessed, You'll, you'll, you'll do well. You know, don't listen to these guys. Uh, And so over and over again, they they had this battle going on and says, why did God do this? Because he had compassion on his people. God is so long suffering. He wants people to turn to him. He will give them every chance to turn. This is why I say, even though I don't think there'll be a great revival in America or the world, God is long suffering and compassionate there may be a revival. I don't see how it can be or or how it would happen, but it could happen, which is why we pray for revival. We pray for the revival to happen so that we can see God giving compassion, extending the life of this country for maybe one more generation, maybe two generations, who knows, but for a period of time by a great, because he has compassion. And it says, But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy or no relief. God says enough is enough. They abused the prophets. They killed them. They put him in prison. They, They executed them, mocked them. And then it says, therefore, he brought unto him the king of the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar, who slew... They're young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary, and had no compassion on young men or maidens. So if they were young, stood up, they killed them. All the people of soldiering soldier age were dead. Of course, that's who Zedekiah was trying to throw at him. But, uh, so they killed that. And the old men, You know, that would be the gray-haired men that are, are trying to so, you know, help out. And then if that wasn't enough, or him that stooped for age. <laughs> These guys are so well, they're they're holding on to canes and, and staffs and Nebuchadnezzar and their people are killing them. They're killing people all over because God is bringing judgment. You know, bringing down the judgment and he gave all of them into his hand. So anybody who does live was taken away captive into Babylon. And it says, And they burnt the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed the goodly vessels. So this is the first time the temple is going to be destroyed. And basically, they took the wall of Jerusalem down brick by brick, spread it all over so that nobody would have a wall. It wouldn't be a walled city. And they set fire to the the temple. And then from history, we know that the gold melted into the rock. So they broke the rock down so they could get all the gold of the temple that was, that it was, in, that was covering the temple. So, was this time, wasn't it? Yes, it was this time on here. They, they tore it completely down and took all the gold out of the, that was melting into the rock and said, no, we can't have this. We're going to get rid of all the rock. We're taking all the gold. And this building was covered with gold uh, when Solomon built it. Yeah, when we think of this idea that people were dumb back then, they built great buildings, they built roads, they built all kinds of equipment and engineering and and everything. This was, you know, this is why I keep saying we hear the word prehistoric man. Number one, that should for us as Christians mean there's no such thing because we have history from the beginning of man, Adam and Eve. All right, so there's no such thing as prehistoric man, and even before the flood, they were. They were creating bronze and steel and, and musical instruments and all these things. The flood kind of set them back, and we had to relearn a lot of stuff. But it wasn't that we didn't know that it was there. We just didn't know how to do it until, well, but they are done a lot of things. Somehow they overlaid the entire temple with gold. I don't know how they did it, because when it would flow down, you know, you'd have to have it at the right viscosity and the right, and the, the ways to stop it, and so it got hard. And then they destroyed anything else that was left in the temple. And everybody that escaped from the sword, they carried away to Babylon with them to be the servants. And this continued until the kingdom of Persia. The Medes and the Persians that conquered Babylon. And this means it's going to be 70 years until they are delivered. And the funny thing is, it is prophesied... Uh, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her sabbath, for as long as she was desolate she enjoyed she kept her Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. God basically told them through Jeremiah you guys have not uh, kept the Sabbath rest of the land so every seven years they were supposed to let the land rest. They were not to plant. They could plant for six years. The seventh year, God said, I'll give you on the sixth year a great abundance, and you won't have to plant. You can live off your the sixth year for and the land will rest. For 490 years they had not kept the Sabbath uh, land, for the land. Not the Sabbath day for the people, but the Sabbath day for the land, which indicates that even in Jeremiah, uh, in Josiah's day, he didn't do it. So And Solomon's day and Hezekiah's day. We've had some good kings who didn't seem to keep the Sabbath for the land. And part of that was probably greed. You know, what do I do for a year without getting taxes? Uh, And God says, because you have not let the land rest for 490 years, you're going to go into captivity for the 70 years that you need to be making this up. So they knew when they went into captivity, how long they would be in captivity. Now this is a pretty good deal. You know, you know you're gonna be in there for 70 years. It's longer than my lifetime. But, but you know, they go, you're gonna be there for a long time. You're gonna be there for 70 years. And they're told in Jeremiah, just, when you go into captivity, start build homes, build, build businesses. You're gonna be there for 70 years. Just get comfortable. Now unfortunately the people got too comfortable Because when they got released, they did not want to go back. And we also know that uh, Isaiah will tell us exactly which king will be the one that sends them back. He will tell them that Cyrus, his shepherd, will send them back. All right. So when Cyrus takes over Babylon and Daniel is promoted in his kingdom, I am pretty sure that Daniel probably showed him, hey, your name's in our scripture. You know, it says here that you're gonna send our people back to back to my home. I am sure that Daniel did it. I don't think it was just Cyrus out of the goodness of his heart decided to do this. I'm sure that Daniel being a leader and go, hey yeah, Cyrus, I'd like to show you something. (laughs) You know, I want to show you something in our sacred books. It was written hundreds of years ago, long before you were even a twinkle in your in your great great grandparents' eyes. You know, that's what's amazing. So and there's twenty two Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and and put it also in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth has the Lord God of heaven given me and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is there among you of all his people, the Lord, his God is with him, and let him go up. And this is the proclamation, and this is really what he said. It's like, all right, I am going to help you all build. I'm going to send you home. Anybody who wants to go back home to, to Judah, now is the time. And we find, you know, if you read Jeremiah and Ezekiel uh, and uh, Ezra, a very, very small part of the group ever went back home. Just a couple thousand people. I I think it was less than 10,000. I don't remember off the top of my head. But very small amount of people go back to Judah to build the temple that Cyrus says, I'm going to pay for. And there's one point so bad that Jerusalem is in such sad shape, nobody wanted to live in the capital. They actually had to have a lottery saying that every 10th person in this is going to move to Jerusalem whether you want to or not. Uh, So they drew straws, and everyone who drew a, you know, or, or dice or whatever numbers, and whoever had a multiple of ten or had the ten was told, "Okay, you're moving to Jerusalem." That city with no wall, no no fields, a burnt out burnt out husk, but that's our capital. We need to live there, and the temple's going to be there, and we got to. If we're going to have a ha- capital, we must have people living in the capital. And so all of this happened, and Cyrus gets to be the one, and he pays for the lumber. He pays for. Pays for the building. He does everything to build the temple of God. And that's quite a statement. And then we're going to find out later on when Jesus was walking. If you remember, it was called the temple of Herod. And Herod's a foreigner as well. He's the one that improves upon it. Neither The second temple had no real investment by the Jewish people to be built. Now we'll see what happens with the third temple. I don't know who's going to pay for it, because the Bible doesn't tell us. It just says they're going to build a third temple. And being that the Antichrist gives them permission to build it, it will not surprise me if he's the one that finances the building of the temple. Uh, and I can't prove that. There's no scripture that says that, but it would not surprise me if he's not the one that's going to finance, because three and a half years into the into the tribulation, he's going to stand up in the temple and say, hey, by the way, I'm God. Uh, so it would not surprise me that he finances it and, and, and puts, it out, puts it out as his. So we have finished Second Chronicles, and uh, let's close in prayer. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, help us to learn from all these people who have misbehaved and done evil, and, and help us to be following you, and help us be strong people of faith to seek what you want. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen listening friends do you know God not just know about him today is the day to decide to become his child God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins in Romans 3:23, we are told for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God we all have sinned God says the penalty for sin is death Romans 6:23 says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord we sin and deserve death and hell